Okay, uh, moving on from that, Isaiah chapter 52, I invite you please to turn to Isaiah 52, and uh, as you do that, a uh, little bit of review. Most of you have probably heard before that uh, the Jews of Jesus' day were looking for a victorious Messiah, one who would lead the Jews in, in victory over the Romans, that would lead them to greatness, and, and they wanted that kind of a Messiah, and they... Uh, expected something like that, but Jesus clearly taught them something else, and Scripture contained much that presented uh, not just the victorious Messiah who's going to bring peace and victory on the world, but the one who was going to have to suffer for his, for, for Jesus' sake. If we turn to, we're not going to go there, but if we were to turn to Luke chapter 24, this is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, before many people have seen him, that we're going to see him, and he is on his way, Jesus is walking to the road to Emmaus, and, and he encounters a couple of guys, and it says he explains to them, didn't they know that the Christ was had going to have to suffer for his sake? And, and as he did this, he took them to Old Testament passages, and certainly one of the passages he took them to would have been Isaiah 52 and 53. Uh, and we're going to be camped out on this passage, uh, not just today, but, but uh, uh, over the next couple, three weeks, uh, because it's so powerful. This is the passage that we call the gospel according to the Old Testament. And in some ways, it is the clearest presentation of the gospel in, in, in the Bible. Uh, and so we're going to find that. And this, this passage we're going to see could well be where he went. Uh, today's passage starts with a conclusion. Let me read the passage. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly ex, uh, exalted. And we see this. It's, it's like a conclusion statement. He's going to be high and exalted. It starts with that, but then it goes from there to speak of the price he's going to pay to get there. Uh, just as so many were appalled at you, my people, so his appearance was marred beyond that of a man and his form beyond the sons of mankind. And then the result, so he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what they had not seen, for what they had not been told, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. So we're going to start with that part. Jesus will be exalted. Chapter 12, verse 13. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. And, and it may seem a little bit strange for me to be so bold in saying the name Jesus when we're clearly reading the Old Testament. And the Bible says servant, and I'm saying Jesus, but Jesus is the servant. There's just, just no way around that. And that's part of what makes Isaiah such a powerful book, not just for New Testament believers, but also for Old Testament, the Jews themselves. Uh, this is the passage I read again and again and again when, when someone is presenting Christ to, effectively to, to a Jew, they use this passage. They use Isaiah chapter 53, and, and, and uh, the most recent one I read was kind of, kind of funny. I almost brought in the book uh, that I read it from. It's one of these books that Randy and Margot passed on to us, but a, a guy was sharing, sharing uh, some of Isaiah 53, and the man he was talking to who was Jewish said, well, we don't read your New Testament. <laughs> he says, this isn't the New Testament, and, and the man was convicted and went home and read it and came to Christ himself. It's, it's such a powerful passage. We are talking about Jesus. And so we're entering, just entering this section of the gospel of the Old Testament, and Jesus is the servant who will prosper and be exalted. He is the servant who will be marred uh, beyond recognition. He is, he is the, the salvation that comes to the world. Uh, it's going to reach the ends of the world. So Jesus will be exalted. He is this is clearly talking about Jesus. He is that one. And every Sunday, in every church, in all the world, Jesus is exalted. 
right? When it says he will be exalted, we go, yeah, he is exalted. Because we can think of all the places where he's not exalted. We can think of all the places where they don't lift up the name of Jesus. But if we, you go to any church in any nation, and remember last week we, I shared from Operation World that they say every nation in the world has a, a, at least a church, a body of believers. In every nation of the world, the name of Jesus Christ is exalted and lifted up. And that is an amazing thing. And, and Jesus Christ is praised. So, you know, I like to ask Google. I like to talk to Google. I ask Google, how many Christian praise songs are there? And Google answered, how to shop how many Christian praise songs there are. <laughs> it, it had no idea. Google has no idea how many Christian praise songs are out there. Uh, and and it, I, I, I browse through and all they're trying to do is tell you, you have this anthology of, you know, 50 top praise songs, 100 top praise songs, top praise songs of the year, and you can pick your year, and you can get all that, but they don't know how many there are. There was nothing like an answer to the question. But Jesus is high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Name a language, and they praise Jesus in that language. Now, you might say, you know, okay, the, you know, they've turned Klingon into a language. So if you are properly, sufficiently nerdly, and you speak Klingon, there may not be a praise song in Klingon, right? I was talking to a lady who, who uh, has been, oh, now I can't remember the name of the language. Uh, it's uh, Ugaritic. Ugaritic. You guys know where they speak Ugaritic? <laughs> you go back 4,000 years, <laughs> and in the land of Ugar, I guess, <laughs> they spoke Ugaritic. And it's an extinct language. There probably aren't any praise songs in Ugaritic because it's not a spoken language. But if there's a language you know the name of, the fact that you know the name of it, it's, a, it's probably a language where there is one of these languages where they praise Jesus in that language. Uh, it's, it's just the name of Jesus is proclaimed. It is exalted. Uh, he is exalted in song. He is exalted in art. I keep thinking as I, as I was working on that, I kept picturing the statue. Is it at Rio de Janeiro where they have the giant statue of Christ standing up like that for, for, that you, is, is inescapably large and, and prominent and all those things? Uh, that, that is exalting Jesus Christ in art. In a land where maybe as a whole the average person doesn't exalt Jesus Christ, but he is still exalted in art. He is exalted in song. He is exalted in art. He is exalted in spoken word. He is exalted in action, right? Jesus Christ is exalted. He is exalted in celebration, right? Christmas, Easter, baptisms, things that we celebrate. The name of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. He is exalted. Uh, he is exalted in grief, at funerals, right, in prayer. He is exalted when we grieve and we go to him and we praise him. He is exalted in places like Mexico where they name their children after him, right? And, and to, to honor their, to, 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 you know, to say something good about their child, to honor him, they name him Jesus, which is their version of, of Jesus. And I've all told you about, maybe you haven't all, don't all remember, haven't all heard about the guy I had in my army company named Jesus de Jesus? <laughs> Jesus of Jesus. That was his name. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was first name and last name. I mean, it was just, that was his name. And, and uh, we don't do that. He is exalted by name in places like that. And he's exalted in places like this where we would never name a child Jesus because the name of Jesus is too much. And we, it's like it just feels wrong to do it. To them, it feels wrong not to. To us, it feels wrong to do it. Either way, it is exalting Jesus Christ. And he is exalted. And he will be more properly exalted yet that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And... I can't remember what else it says. Philippians chapter 2. Uh, 
I, thought, I, I looked at my pastor. I thought, I can just wing this. I lied. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. Um, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And every knee will bow, and every tongue will will. will confess. And, and that is, I, I, I don't know how to express how powerful that is, because it does not mean every knee will bow in worship. It does not mean every knee will bow in honor. Some will bow in, uh, we will all bow in submission, but some it will be, bow in uh, humble adoration and willing submission, and some will bow in defeat. Yeah, defeat. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And the name of Jesus will be exalted. And last week I went here. I'm going to go here again, Revelation chapter 5, as they're around the throne and they are singing their praises uh, to, to Jesus Christ, to the Lamb that was slain. Revelation chapter 5. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, uh, slaughtered to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. And I heard every created thing which is in heaven or on earth or under the earth or on the sea and all things in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be the blessing, the honor, the glory, the dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures were saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worship and every Jesus the name of Jesus Christ is exalted and it will be exalted more and more forever and ever right uh, he will be exalted we go back to Isaiah behold my servant uh, behold my servant will prosper he will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted it is a statement of fact he is and he will be and it is glorious and awesome uh, and powerful but then we move on and we find that first he will suffer. Just as many were appalled at you, my people, so his appearance was marred beyond that of a man and his form beyond the sons of mankind. His suffering was shockingly severe. And this is either a statement of contrast or comparison. If you, looked at, if you, if you heard my version of the Bible, it says, just as many were uh, appalled at you, my people, and your version may say something more like, many is appalled at him. And, and this is one of those places where, uh, you know, grammar is difficult enough in English, <laughs> right? Some, one, there, there are two English teachers out here who say, no, it's easy, right? But the rest of us, we say grammar is difficult. Grammar is hard. And if English grammar is difficult, how hard is it to go from ancient Hebrew to modern English and be sure you have it right? And this is one of those places where they have a hard time. And, and about half the Bibles I looked at said they were appalled at him. And about half the Bibles I looked at said they were appalled at you, my people, meaning Israel. And, and uh, best I can say on that is, is I am not going to pretend I'm the scholar who can solve that problem. Because I can't. It's, it's beyond me. But I will tell you this, both options work. If it is because they are appalled at Israel, then, then that works. Just as they were appalled at Israel, so they will be appalled at you, or at him. So they were appalled at him. Or, if it is him, just as they, are appalled, uh, as they were amazed by you, so they will be uh, appalled at you. And, and, and those are the two possibilities. I want to tell you, both work. If, if, if it is saying, just as they were astonished uh, at you, uh, 
I'm not saying either one is right. One, one of the answers, by the way, is right. <laughs> it's, it's like, but, but at this point, you know, it's something where I don't know, but I can see that both work. Uh, if, if he is saying, just as they were astonished at you, my people. Remember how the book of Isaiah starts? You say, no, I, I actually don't remember, preacher, <laughs> how the book of Isaiah starts. That's good. I appreciate that, that uh, you might not remember that one sermon that one time. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back and look at Isaiah chapter 1, starting at verse 2. Listen, heavens, and hear earth, for the Lord has spoken. Sons I have raised and brought up, but they have rebelled against me, revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. What is he doing? He's saying, come witness, heavens and earth, witness what's going on here. Can you believe what's going on? Can you believe what's happening here in Israel? That's what he's saying. He's calling them to witness, and then he starts describing his case against them. Oh, sinful nation, people weighed down with guilt, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from him, and he's describing the spiritual desolation. But then he starts describing the physical desolation. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The entire head is sick and the entire heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is nothing healthy in it. Only bruises, slashes, and raw wounds, not pressed out, nor bandaged, nor softened with oil. Your land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. As for your fields, strangers are devouring them in front of you. Its desolation, it is desolation, is overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a city under watch. If the Lord of armies had not left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom, we would be like Gomorrah, meaning totally destroyed. And, and, and so he says, when he says, just as many were astonished at you, my people, so they will be astonished at him, you go, that comparison works. If we went back a little bit less, we go back to chapters 37, 38, we have the story of, of Hezekiah. You know, in Hezekiah, the, the king of Assyria is attacking with his huge army, and he's destroying everything in Israel. And he comes and he besieges Jerusalem, and Hezekiah prays before God, and God delivers him, sends an angel. 185,000 Syrians are killed in one night, and King Sennacherib runs back home, where he is later assassinated by his two sons while wor worshiping his God in his temple. And, and, and we have that story, but what we have to remember there is, is even though 185,000 Assyrians were killed in a night, and God delivered Jerusalem, the nation of Israel had been utterly ravaged. The nation of Israel had been, the, the main cities had been destroyed, walls broken down, burned, people, the population was decimated. And so when he says, just as many are astonished at you, imagine you are walking by, you, you are traveling, and, and the, there's a highway called the King's Highway uh, that was there in ancient times, and it's still there today, uh, that, because it's, you know, highways go in places that make sense. <laughs> that, that's why they're there. And, and so you want to continue traveling from this place to that place. That highway that made sense where it was still makes sense. And that highway is still there, and it's in use. By the way, it's been fixed up since then. But, but uh, that highway is still there, the King's Highway. And so if you're traveling through the King's Highway because you're going from Assyria to Egypt or somewhere along that, that type of a journey, you're going to go through Israel. You're going to see the devastation and the destruction that hit Israel, and you would go, wow. I have never seen anything so damaged and destroyed as this land is. I cannot believe the destruction. I thought these people worshipped God. Did not their God protect them? Why did God allow these things to happen? And he said, so it works so well if you say, as this 
as many of her astonished were appalled at you, my people, so his appearance was marred beyond that of a man. Just the way it happened to Israel, that's what happened to him. And, and that, that statement of comparison works really well. But the other possibility is that it's a statement of contrast, and just as they were amazed at him, just as many were amazed at him, to the degree that they were amazed at what Jesus Christ did, so they punished Jesus Christ. The more amazing and impressive he was, the more determined they were to punish him. Uh, Jesus amazed people. I mean, think of the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus didn't know what to do with Jesus. Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the teacher of Israel, he goes there, he meets Jesus, and he says, I know you're, you're from God, because nobody could do the things you do unless God was with him. And, and he's, he's, he's leaving the question, so who are you? I don't know what to do with you. And Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, what? You're not making sense. It didn't work for Nicodemus. He could not handle Jesus. Jesus amazed him. The soldiers were sent to arrest him, and they came back empty-handed. And the priest said, why didn't you bring him back? They said, no one ever spoke like this man. We, we, we can't arrest. They were afraid of the people. They said, we didn't because we're afraid of the people because no one ever spoke like this man. They don't know what, they can't arrest him. They don't know what to do with him. He's too much for them to handle. They don't, they are amazed at him. Jesus turned water into wine. He, he raised the dead. He commanded demons. He healed the sick. Uh, he, he walked on water. Jesus amazed the people. And just as he amazed them so much, so they had to punish him so much. And, and, and what you see is both, take your pick. I don't care which one you want with, you, you choose. They both work really well. And of course, it's really easy and convenient to say, well, maybe it's both, but it wasn't. The author had an and intention. And he didn't go, well, I'm going to write this because they could take that two ways, and they're both good. <laughs> but the reality is God gave us something that, that certainly works both ways. And, and so he's either writing uh, a contrast or a comparison, but either way, they are amazed at him. And the result is that his appearance was marred so dramatically. Just as many were appalled at you, my people, so his appearance was marred beyond that of a man and his form beyond the sons of mankind. And, and people have taken that and, and said uh, he had to be marred more than anybody. Yeah, and, and if that's the case, then other people come in and say, well, that's not true because, because, you know, people have been hit by trains. People have been blown up by bombs. People have been burned to death. Right? There's, there's a lot of people. I don't want to, it's like, I don't want to dwell on this. Uh, as I don't find any joy in that kind of a thing. But, but uh, those things happen. And, and for the scoffers who say, well, other people have been marred more. Okay, uh, that's not, I don't think that's what it's saying. And the way this version says it is pretty well. Just as many were appalled at you, my people, so his appearance was marred beyond that of a man. Jesus was beaten to the form that he was hardly recognizable. Even hardly recognizable as a human. To where people looked and said, what is that? Who is that? People, people. Jesus survived the beating that left him so marred first. He, he's, he's, he's human, he's alive, and he's walking along. He was beaten before the Sanhedrin who didn't have a legal right to beat him, but he was beaten. He was scourged by Pilate's soldiers. They beat a crown of thorns onto his head. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. When I say Isaiah tells us things we don't find in the gospel, 
Isaiah chapter 50. We've got to go back, I'll go back two pages in my Bible. I gave my back to those who strike me, my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I did not hide my face from insults and spitting. That's going back two chapters to Isaiah chapter 50. Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is this incredibly accurate description of what happens in a crucifixion before crucifixion was invented. I'll start at verse 13. They opened their mouths wide at me as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a piece of pottery, and my tongue clings to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. They divide their garments among them and they cast lots for my clothing. And just in case you start thinking, well, I'm not sure this is describing the crucifixion, then read that last part again because <laughs> it really makes it hard to argue with. They divide their garments among them and they cast lots for my clothing. And we look at what physically happened to Jesus Christ as the weight of his body is hanging from his arms that are tied and, and nailed to that cross. And he's suspended like that. And he's trying to support himself, pushing up on those heels, the, the feet that have the spike driven through them. And, and his body is all out of joint. His heart is like wax. When they stabbed him and the water and blood ran out, they pierced his hands and his feet. He counts all his bones. Everything is on display. And we speak of his suffering. Isaiah 56, they pluck out his beard. Psalm 22, uh, his death was disfiguring. Jesus was hard to recognize. They knew it was him. Couldn't be anyone else. And we weren't there to see it. And I, I for one, am great. I don't find any joy in saying this description. I don't want to explore this more. I've read things. I've read powerful statements to describe what he went through. And, and uh, I don't take any pleasure in those. It's like I, I don't want to go there. I will accept that Jesus was marred enough to make this statement true. And his suffering was so extreme that what is being described is accurate. And it is because of this suffering that we read the next verse. So he will sprinkle many nations. This is not a sprinkling with holy water. This is not a baptismal sprinkling. This is the sprinkling of a sacrifice. It, uh, I'm going to just read a little bit in Leviticus. If you really want to try to follow along, you can, but I'm just going to be flipping through some different passages. This is what was done with the sacrifice at the altar. This is the rules, the way God set them up. Leviticus 1.5. Then he shall slaughter the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall offer up blood and sprinkle the blood around the altar 
on the altar that is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Leviticus 1, 10, and 11. But if his offering is from the flock, either from the sheep or the goats, as a burnt offering, he shall offer a male without defect, and he shall slaughter it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle its blood around the altar. And in chapter 3, verse 8, it says... Um, and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slaughter it in front of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood on the altar. In chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. And now if his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on its head and slaughter it in front of the tent of meeting. And the Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood on the altar. And it goes on and on and on. That's, there, there are many. I, I, I could read them all. I didn't write them all down. But there are many. And it's, it's just repeated. Sprinkling of the altar with the blood of the sacrifice. I want to skip ahead to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 22 to 24. Again, it's like, I know I'm speaking to people who agree with me, but sometimes I feel like I just want to prove this point. <laughs> so bear with me. Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 22 to 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Jesus' blood that was sprinkled on the nations. This is the blood of the sacrifice. This is not the sprinkling that we read about. It's not a, a baptismal. It's not symbolic in that way. It is, is the purifying of the nations with the blood of the sacrifice. The blood of his sin offering being applied to the nations. And as his sacrifice is so terrible, his victory is astounding. Because his salvation is given to the world. Kings will shut their mouths. Words will fail. Words cannot express um, Jesus. We can exalt him. <laughs> but, but what do you do in front of Jesus? You know the song, I can only imagine. I imagine shutting up. <laughs> you know, I imagine just mouth drops open, push it shut, and, and being quiet. And then eventually I'm going to sing praises because the Bible says we'll do that. <laughs> but, but kings will shut their mouths. They will see what they had not been shown and understand what had not been told them. Romans tells us the Gentiles who had not been seeking God will find him. Right? What does he say here? Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what they had not seen, been told they will see. What they had not heard they will understand. Ephesians chapter 2 is... Ephesians is a tremendous book of the church to describe the church to people who did not understand what is this new thing that God is doing. And Ephesians gives us this description of the church. And Ephesians chapter 2 talks about the removal of the barrier between Jews and Gentiles. And Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 through 19, let me read this for you. But now in Christ, you who previously were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I want to go back. I, I, just a sec. I can do that because I have... A ribbon. 
For what they had not been told, they will see, and what they had not heard, they will understand. And in Ephesians, he tells us, Now in Christ Jesus, you who previously were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made both groups. He's speaking of Jews and Gentiles, the Jews and everybody else, (laughs) the Jews and the kingdoms of the nations and the farthest reaches of the world. Uh, he, He made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the hostility, which is the law composed of the commandments expressed in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two one person and in this way establishing peace, and that he might reconcile them both in one body to God. Through the cross, by it having put to death in hostility, and he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. And we find Jesus is victorious in reaching the world with the gospel. He accomplished what he set out to do. And as Jesus suffered greatly, so Jesus saves freely. Now, We're a body of mostly people I recognize and who hear me preach every week. But if by any chance you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, look at the price he paid for you. Look at what he has done for you. He has removed everything that would keep you away from him and from this life. And and imagine, you know, I don't don't know how to describe how much this says he wants you. He desperately wants you. For God so loved the world. Why? Why did he do this? Because he loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son. And we we just got a hint of what that meant as we looked at this today. If you have not taken Jesus as your Savior, please do. Do not let this price paid be for nothing. This price paid for you be for nothing. Let it be for your salvation. And let you be one of the people he has reached. Let's close in the word of prayer. Lord Jesus, you are truly awesome. You are beyond our imagining. I thank you that you loved us so much that you did this for us, that you suffered like this for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you and I praise you for your goodness. I, Lord, on behalf of everyone here, I pray that we all trust you as, your, as our Savior, that we will exalt you and bow our knee with joy. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.